Hello, my friends. I'm in London today for the trial of Tommy Robinson. Well, there's been a lot of those trials, but this one is a weird one. A political critic called police and said, get him out of here. And the police obeyed and arrested Tommy and banned him from London, exiled him. Tommy's in court finding that. I'll give you the full report. But first, let me invite you to get a subscription to what we call Rebel News Plus. It's the video version of this podcast. Just eight bucks a month. Go to rebelnewsplus.com. Clip, clip subscribe. You'll get great content, and you'll do me a huge favor because we don't take any government money. We've been demonetized on YouTube. So your eight bucks might not sound like a lot to you, but it sure is a lot to us. It adds up. Thanks for your help. Here's today's podcast. Tonight, I'm in London for the latest trial of Tommy Robinson. It's not looking good. It's January 22nd, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. I'm standing outside the Westminster Magistrates Court. There's so many different ancient courts in this country with peculiar names. Westminster, of course, is a district, a jurisdiction of its own, right in the heart of London. You've probably heard of Westminster Abbey or the Palace of Westminster, which is a fancy name for the Parliament buildings. It's at this court that Tommy Robinson has been brought to answer the most bizarre accusations, something that reminds me of how Canada has been treating trucker protesters. It started a few months ago. You might remember I came to London for the massive pro-Hamas protests in the streets when probably 100,000 people were chanting for genocide and intifada and death to the Jews. Remember that? Well, after weeks and weeks of that, the pro-Jewish side had a march of their own. They called it a march against anti-Semitism. It wasn't particularly a march for Israel. It was just a march against all the anti-Semitic hate that had been rolling through the streets of the city. I saw estimates of up to 50,000 people. That may have been a little bit liberal a number, but it was a counterpoint to the Hamas hate that was on the streets of London. I went there because I was curious about it, and I did some reports. Do you remember that? So you're worried about anti-Semitism. Your, your kids are in college. They're worried. It's a tough time. They're outnumbered. You agree with me that some of these places are anti-Semitic endemically, but, but you're not against pumping the brakes on unvetted anti-Semitic immigration. Truth will win through in the end. Don't you see that you've created, you're supporting the monster that's destroying you? Truth will win through in the end. No, it won't. 
Do you think Pakistan or Syria or Afghanistan are suddenly going to become philo-Semitic? Truth will win through in the end. I, I, yeah, I'd love your view. Please do. Um, it's not just a case, you know, the issue isn't just immigration. I know. It's also adopting British values. Excellent, yes. It's not happening. Right. They're not adopting British values. They're not being taught British values. I think you're confusing many different things. I think there's nothing wrong with understanding the importance of immigration, of, of understanding the importance of, of bringing people and, and helping people who want to come from other countries to, to be part of this wonderful country. Do you think we should put, do you think we should put the brakes on Muslim immigration? No, absolutely no? not. No, I, I, I absolutely not. The, the problem is not Muslims. The problem is right-wing, nasty, fascist, Muslim fundamentalists. The real problem is anti-Semitism in the is in the Muslim community. Anti-Semitism is not compatible with Western values, and that's the problem. Not the fact that people are coming here, because there are wonderful people who come here as well. You think Islamophobia is a problem in the UK? Uh, I can't comment. I'm not a, a Muslim myself. Uh, I believe so, because of the statistics. Um, there's rising hate, I think, across the spectrum. Uh, I'm here particularly for against anti-Semitism because it's a, a disproportional amount in comparison to the Jewish community. So I stand in solidarity with Jews all over the world. Well, I wasn't the only one reporting that day. My old friend and colleague, Tommy Robinson, who used to work for Rebel News, but now has his own platform called Urban Scoop. He was there too with a cameraman. And I didn't know that. Uh, I went to this pro-Israel or anti-march against anti-Semitism I went there a little bit early, and there was a coffee shop. And who's in the coffee shop but Tommy Robinson? It was an astonishing coincidence, but not actually a coincidence at all. That's where everyone who went really early was hanging out. Tommy told me after we said our hellos that the police had come to him and told him he must leave. Tommy said, I've done nothing wrong. I'm just literally having my breakfast in a coffee shop. As you can see, I've got my microphone and my cameraman. I did nothing wrong. I've committed no crime. I don't want to leave. But they said that one of the organizers of the March Against Anti-Semitism, named Gideon Falter, a left-wing Jewish activist, put his left-wingedness ahead of his Jewishness and said to the cops, I don't like Tommy Robinson. He makes me feel, quote, tense. Well, a lot of things make me feel tense. One of them was 100,000 pro-Hamas marchers through the streets of London. Gideon Falter didn't ask police to clear them out, and the police didn't have the means or the motive to do so. But Tommy Robinson and his cameraman, they were easy pickings. And so, with no crime committed, the police essentially told Tommy to scram. They gave him a dispersal notice, which is a weird thing. If you look at the word disperse, that's, you know, disperse a crowd. There's 50 people, disperse the crowd. How does one person disperse? What a laugh. But Tommy said, no, I'm here uh, as a working journalist and my civil rights are protected. Well, the cops weren't having any of that. I don't know if you remember, but I was standing right there because of course I was chatting with Tommy and I could see the police sort of eyeballing things. It was very peaceful, it was very calm and people who saw Tommy there were sort of excited because they know he's a powerful communicator and they know he's from a different world. The Gideon Falters of the world and all the fancy pants who were there, they're middle class or a little bit 
I don't know, I don't know my class structure in the UK, but they were the fancy people, the good people, the righteous people, the wealthy people, the powerful people. But to have an ally in Tommy Robinson, who's a working class Brit, who is from the North, who has a bit of an accent as opposed to the Queen's received pronunciation. I think a lot of Jews at that rally thought it's nice to have some allies because so many of the woke professor class have gone full anti-Semitic. So I was there and I didn't hear a single voice raised against Tommy. And I'm telling you, I was a foot away from him. In fact, when the police finally made their move against Tommy, the Jews said, shame on you to the cops. You take a look. Leave him alone! Leave him alone! Leave him saying shame on you to the police doesn't really work because I don't think they have shame in 2023, 2024. At least not Sadiq Khan's DEI, Diversity, Equity and Inclusion, Metropolitan Police. Incredibly, they sent 30 cops, they pepper sprayed him, they handcuffed him, they took him to jail and they released him saying he's not allowed back in the city of London, not just for that hour or that day, but he's just not allowed back the capital city. Tommy went to court and got a slight variation on that bail. He's allowed to come to the city of London to meet with his lawyers and to go to court. Thanks very much for that. And if a particular policeman named Officer Shaw, who happens to be Muslim, approves of where Tommy goes. And Tommy told me last night that he has said to this Officer Shaw, I'd like to meet this particular member of parliament, Andrew Bridgen. And Officer Shaw said, nope. Uh, just because I'm the cop and I suddenly have the power of a judge. I've never heard of that before. Have you ever heard of that? Where a policeman who uh, is probably antipathetic to Tommy ideologically anyways, gets to vet Tommy's personal life, who he meets with. And, I, and I've never heard of an MP, and I understand Tommy also wants to meet with a peer, a member of the House of Lords. I didn't know that just some cop on the street, some beat cop who may or may not have a grudge against Tommy has the power to deny two sitting members of parliament, an MP and a member of the House of Lords, the right to meet with a citizen. That's quite incredible. I'm learning so much about the cradle of democracy, the mother of all parliaments. I'm learning so much about civil liberties here in, in the United Kingdom. It's incredible that all this started because some left-wing Jew had a vendetta against Tommy and told the cops, arrest him. And so they did. I, I just think that that is a terrifying thing Worse even than what we see in Canada these days, and that's quite something. So today's hearing was uh, to set a formal trial for Tommy's appeal of this order, and also to seek a variation on those bail conditions that he has right now. But the first matter was, <clears throat> in British court, it's a legal custom where the accused stands up, says her name, says their date of birth, says their profession or occupation, and says their home address. But about that last part, Tommy Robinson has received 12 death threats 
from the police. And what I mean by that is the police intelligence, the national security intelligence uh, through tips or sources or, or uh, surveillance have 12 realistic, imminent, actionable warnings of death threats. So it's not just some guy on Twitter saying, I'm gonna kill you. It's not just something like that. It's something in the UK called an Osman warning. And it was a case where the, the police had, had a warning about uh, a death threat, but didn't do anything. So now there's this uh, illegal custom in the UK. If the police know there's a real death threat about you, they have to hand deliver the details to you at your home. Imagine how terrifying that would be. You're at your house and a cop knocks on your door and they hand you a paper saying, here are the details of a realistic death threat against you. You can't say we didn't tell you. Oh, and by the way, in the UK, you're not allowed to get a firearm to defend yourself. And Tommy Robinson has received 12 of these Osmond warnings and his wife, Jenna, has received three of them. So you can imagine why Tommy didn't want to stand up in open court with a pack of media jackals there and say his home address, which is confidential. And so Tommy's lawyer, a senior King's counsel said, Your Honor, the judge, sorry, the court knows the address. The police know the address. Tommy's not hiding it. Everyone who needs to know knows. We just don't want it said in public because there were a grand total of 15 death threats against Tommy and his family, according to the police. And the judge said, hmm, let's think about it. Hey, journalists, do any of you have a comment? She says that. And one jackal with the evening standard stood up and went on how it's his right to publish Tommy's home address. And Tommy talks about, you know, openness of justice. I want to publish Tommy's home address. I swear to God, he stood up and must have talked for five minutes about his right to be able to tell the country where Tommy's wife and kids live. I swear to God that happened. Tommy's Casey stood up and said that, you know, this is an exceptional case. I mean, I, I, I don't believe that there'd be a, a single other Brit who has had 15 warnings to him and his wife. I mean, have you, I, I can't even imagine that. And the judge ruled in favor of disclosing. Looks like Tommy's coming out right now. Let's see what he has to say. The Evening Standard, is he still in here? Has he come out yet? The report from the Evening Standard argued that I have to give my address. The judge ruled that I had to read my address out in open court, at which point I read out no fix the boat. But I just, I just still can't believe that they've done that. Let me read you this. Let me read you this. For everyone who witnessed what happened on that day, yeah? Let me just read you, because we only got served the evidence last night. So let me read you the police's statement. Why is that not turning? <coughs> police's statement. Given the large numbers of people trying to breach the police cordon around us and Tommy trying to break away, I was concerned that he would flee and escape lawful custody. I drew my captor irritant spray and sprayed at his face. Now, anyone who watched that, yeah, that is the justification for CS gas in my eyes, was that I was going to break away from lawful custody. I had 30 fucking police officers around me, 30, yeah? I was handcuffed. What were they talking about? They also say in here, I threw my arms out, knocking their cuffs off. Everything they say, I'm going to put together a clip-by-clip -clip frame of, this, of what they say. It's just blatant lies. The problem is, well, who's the mainstream journalist here? You, you. 
all they will do is report what the police say. So the headline will say, Tommy Robinson threatened police officer with violence. That's what, the, that's what they'll say, yeah? Luckily, other people are here, luckily Ezra's here, luckily there are other reporters here that will actually report what actually happened, what we saw on the video and what went on. I just still, I still can't believe that they've tried to get my, they've tried to get my address. And as I said, I'm, I was removed from a rally because the organiser said it might make him feel tense. How, the, how do they think my family will feel if their address is pumped all over the country tonight? Which is what they just tried to do. I still can't believe they tried. I still cannot believe they've just tried to do that. But the, lot, the, 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 the statements are lies. I've pled not guilty on five different counts. The actual dispersal order was unlawful. If you read the conditions, they can't give it to someone who's at work. I was at work. I have a contract to be at work. I had a cameraman with me who was paid to be at work. I was there to report. Um, I just think that the entirety of this should, it isn't about me being on trial. I just think it's the public should be made aware of the police state we live in. The judge has just given... My trial date is St George's Day. How about that, yeah? So I'm on trial on St George's Day. But the date... I'm now banned for another three months. I'm now not allowed. So I have a meeting now with someone in, who, who I'm doing a podcast with. I have to leave London. I have to leave London instantly or I go to jail. So I just find the whole thing remarkable. I find it remarkable that no other journalists or no other commentators from the mainstream or no other journalists, say there's journalists here, actually give a shit that someone doesn't commit a crime, gets assaulted by the police, gets attacked by the police and then gets their rights and freedoms taken away. It's outrageous. What? You've got all these Islamists that have um, been driving through Finchley, for example, asking to call in to rape Jewish girls and all that. They can come to London. They haven't got a bail. You haven't hurt anyone. And you've got a bail. You can't come to London. How ridiculous is that? These groups are continuously calling for rallies, holding rallies, flying terrorist flags. None of them have been given conditions banning them from inside the M25. Yeah? What, they, what, this, what, what becomes apparent is, so I have a I've organised a, a rally on Saturday in Telford. What this is about is inside, inside the M25, they have such a Islamic extremist problem that rather than deal with that problem, the one person they think might cause an opposition to it or might, call, or might highlight it, they've banned me. So they took my rights away, but that's, that may be London today, but that will just move to other cities. When they've done this, my, my, bar, my actual uh, King's Council said, if they're banning you from inside the M25, what's to stop them picking other cities with these conditions? He said nothing. I don't understand that the, the March Against Anti-Semitism was a one-day thing. It was a particular activist, Gideon Falter, who said he was tense. But that's over. Why, what's the theory behind banning you for, for five months? I, what, what are they saying? I don't get it. They don't say anything because I asked for permission to bring my children in for the Christmas lights. Now, reverse the revolt, reverse the situation. A Muslim being banned from inside the M25, who then has a religious festival, a religious thing, and they're not letting him in for. That's what they said to me, no. I asked, am I allowed to go watch Luton play in London? No. Am I allowed to, I'm not allowed, am I allowed to go shopping in London? No. I asked what the relevance is. I know what the relevance is. The relevance is, they saw that on Armistice Day, men come together. They were so fearful that men will come together. They have allowed Islamic radicals to take over this capital city week in, week out, and they fear a resistance to it. The one person they think might bring that resistance is myself. So their, their idea is, we don't care, we'll abuse legal laws, we'll abuse our powers, and we'll ban him. And then that for them, that solves, they don't, they don't mind letting Hamas take control of the city. They don't mind them climbing up memorials, desecrating memorials, because there's no opposition to them. So the police don't come under attack. 
So the police are quite happy. Let them do it. We'll stand back. Let them run and mock. Let them terrorise Jews. Let them terrorise whoever they want. Yeah, that's that, that's how they do it. And you hear the police officers when they get asked in the street, "There's not enough of us. There's not enough of us. We know there's not enough of you." But they, the, when they saw an Armitage Day that British men were willing to come out in the streets, they I think that would have worried them. And I think they just thought, whatever it takes now, get him rid, get rid of him. But that's what they've done so far. So far, it's going to be by the time by the time trial comes, six months. I don't think I, I don't think I should agree to those conditions. I currently have. I don't think there should be no police that police or government that should be able to ban a journalist from any city if they haven't broke a law. Yeah, I haven't been convicted of anything. We all know I didn't break a law. I was sitting having a breakfast. We've, everyone's watched what's gone on here. I, they should not be able to limit my freedom, my freedom of the press, my freedom of assembly, my freedom of movement has been taken away from me so far for three months and it's going to be another three. I was shocked by the evening standard going on for about five minutes about why they should be able to publish your home address, which has got nothing to do with the case at hand. But I, I assumed that the judge would have said, well, this is an extreme case, 15 death threats to you and, and your missus. And, but the judge didn't. The judge demanded that you give your home address there. I was stunned by that. What, have you had any support from any press organization? Or, I mean, I, it was incredible that it was a journalist stabbing you, not even the prosecutor. Is there, what, what's going on? I've just have never seen anything like that. Journalists wanted my address to be given out, which is, which is a purposely trying to endanger my family. There's no, there's no news value to it. There's no, news, there's no need for it. And the, the, the point the judge made, she's got my address. I wrote it down. I handed it to her. Here's my address, yeah? But the, the, the argument was they want it read out in open court so then the media can run it. So then and when they run it, it brings danger to my family. They I, know, they know, was, they know exactly what they're doing. That they was, exactly what they're doing. I, sh I shouldn't be in court A. I shouldn't have been banned from London for five months. And they're not just happy with that. They then want to bring endangerment to my family. That's it. They spent almost as much time trying to get your address as they did on the substance of the hearing. Yeah, and unfortunately, this, this, this now goes to trial April 22nd and the April 23rd. It goes to trial. And unfortunately, with the media, the media, what the media will report is the police allegations. Now, do you know in the last trial, yeah, when I was here last time, the, the police officer's uh, evidence was that the crowd was shouting, shame on you, at me. You know who knew was there that day? I was right there. When the police started taking me away, the crowd turned on the police shouting shame on you. They totally changed the context, said that they needed to remove me because the crowd were angry with me. It's like, but it doesn't matter because unless people watch what happened, the media will tell the story. So the media will come here today. The media aren't going to report any argument. What you've reported about the threats to my, about trying to expose my address and trying to endanger my family, no mainstream media will even talk about that. They'll just run Stephen Lennon of and give an address if they can. But yeah, I find the whole thing remarkable. I find it remarkable that no mainstream commentators, no TV news have even focused on the fact that I'm banned from London. I shouldn't be banned from London. There should be no powers given to any police force or government to ban a journalist from entering anywhere. Do you know why I have to ask permission? This is the insane piece. We went to court. So, so far, this has cost me 24,800 pounds. Yeah, 24,800 pounds because they attacked me. So that, this is part of a lawfare strategy that's put on people. Any activist or, or any journalist that come out, this lawfare has been directed. If you look at Alex Jones' case, a billion pounds, it's like, even if he was in, in the wrong, a billion pounds, like, it's lawfare, yeah? You're tying us up legally, you're tying us up financially, but no, no one seems to give a shit about it. No, no other mainstream commentators, no other, no other media seem to care about it, but they shouldn't be able to do it. And it's cost 24,000 pounds. And I've appealed and asked to come into London. And when I took it to the judge to say, I want to come into London, I then have to apply to DC 
BBC Shah, a Muslim police officer, and I applied for three meetings. One was to an event where Andrew Bridgen was, an MP. Another one was um, Carl Benjamin. So three different things. He just said no. He just said no. So then I come back to court again at extra costs. And what the judge said is every time you want to try and come into London, you can come back before me. What, for £4,800? For £4,800 each day. It's like you've, they've, they've basically took my rights. But what people are witnessing now, they've done this since 2009. Since my activism with the English Defence League, I wasn't allowed to send an email, wasn't allowed to a group of three or more people. All on bail. All, all, this isn't court orders. This is all conditions given on bail for stupid little charges, which is what they've done now. My point is, if I'd have pled guilty today, I'd have got probably maximum three months, but I'd probably get a fine, yeah? And then I can go in London tomorrow. But instead, I'm, instead, I'm not guilty. I didn't do anything wrong. They acted unlawfully, not me. They caused a breach of the peace, not me. And um, now I wait trial. So I'll go to trial now. There'll probably be another 10, 15,000 pounds costs. It's insane. It's insane. I'll say a thank you to anyone who's watching this who has supported my legal costs. And what I'm trying to do here is put, I'm putting together a documentary about this. And I want it to be not me on trial. I want the British police state to be on trial. I want the public to watch what they've done. I want them to see the cost of fighting for freedom. And I want everyone to see that I'm exhausted every legal avenue with the best uh, counsel you can get. So the best defence teams you can get, I've exhausted every avenue to try and get my rights back. Again today, I've been refused again. I'm not, I do not agree to being banned from my capital city. I do not accept six months of not being able to report on issues that are important to not just me, but to you in the capital city. So I'm going to go away. I've got a very important date next Saturday in Telford, and then I'm going to evaluate where I go next with this case. Well, there you have it, a scrum outside the Westminster Magistrates Court with Tommy Robinson and a number of citizen journalists. Earlier, I saw a photographer from the AFP, that's the... Uh, uh, it's it's a, a wire service. He was just here for a photo. Like I say, there were other reporters in the court. There was someone from PA, Press Association, which is their version of the Canadian press in Canada. But I just can't get over that reporter from the Evening Standard who stood up like it was his court. Like, there was a, here's how it went. Tommy was asked for his address. The King's Council stood up and said, Your Honor, 12 Osmond mornings for death threats for him, three for his wife. It's an extreme circumstance. You have his address. We, we never say it. That's why. The judge looked to the audience and said, does anyone have something to say? And imagine being the journalist who hops up and says, yeah, I do. Hi. Uh, can, I, can I have something to say? It's not my hearing. It's not my trial. I'm, my liberty isn't in danger. But I really got something to say because I hate that Tommy. And I want to be able to tell his address to people even though there's no public interest and i swear to god he talked for five minutes he and and the judge went back and forth and in the end the judge ordered tommy to give his address he said no fixed address which was quick thinking but i just do, could you possibly trust that journalist with anything he says about this court if he said it was raining out if he said the sky was blue i wouldn't trust him and that is the regime media. And people say, Ezra, why are you flying in from Canada to cover Tommy Robinson? It's because he is the pointy edge of the spear for freedom of speech battles in the United Kingdom. I also like the guy who used to work for us, as you know. But just astonishing. This was supposed to be a fairly quick hearing today, and, and I suppose it was. We were in the room for just about an hour. But um, I, as Tommy said in his scrum there, imagine being banned from London for essentially six months. And for what? 
because someone at a march said that guy makes me feel tense even if that was true that's not a reason i mean i didn't know police took instructions like that but that march is over why is tommy banned from going into the city today why is he banned from meeting with mps why does he have to disclose his meetings and appointments to the police and ask their permission. I, I, I just find it astonishing. You know, when I went to law school, we looked up to the United Kingdom. We looked up to British law. In fact, if you, if you don't know, the United Kingdom used to be the court of final appeal for Canada. I don't know if you know this, but it, it was only in the last century that Canada's Supreme Court became the final word on the law in Canada. Appeals went to the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council. British law lords were the final say. So when I was in law school, we looked up to the Brits. We read the great British cases. Canada inherited a lot of British law. To this day, British legal cases are persuasive in Canada. And so here I am, and I've been to the Old Bailey and the Royal Courts of Justice, and I've been to courts in Luton and Peterborough, as they say, Peterborough. And here I am in Westminster. And I have to say... There are some brilliant judges and the Court of Appeal ruling that threw out Tommy's conviction a few years ago was a, a tour de force. But what I saw in there today was deeply depressing. The journalist, the prosecutor, the police, and the judge. I'm worried. There's a two-day hearing coming up in April 22 and 23. I'm gonna check my schedule. I'm gonna do my best to come out here wouldn't that be astonishing if they convicted him of what? Of being a one person who doesn't disperse. That's just, the word disperse does not, that's like one ball, disperse a ball. How? It's, it's like, it just disperses about a multiple of things. Incredible. Anyways, I thought I would come through London before going home. I was in Switzerland covering the World Economic Forum. And so it made sense to come here, and I'm going to go back to Toronto tonight. I'll be in the studio in Toronto tomorrow. It'll be great to be home. I've been away for so long. Sometimes people say, Ezra, why are you traveling so much? Well, maybe it's because I was locked up with Trudeau's vaccine no-fly list for two years, and I had to scratch that itch, but that's not actually why. I travel because I see in other countries the seeds of things that are growing in Canada as well. I see in Davos, at the World Economic Forum, the globalists, the socialists, the authoritarians, the censors, the oligarchs who want to rule us in Canada, where the ideas come from. I see here in London uh, the censorship culture take root, and I think they're further down the road in the UK than we are in Canada. I see that in Ireland. I've never really visited Ireland before, but I, I'm deeply worried about censorship there. I see the mass immigration. We have 10,000 people marching in Canada, maybe 20,000. They've got 100,000 in London. I see our future. I feel like going to London is a time machine. When I go to London, it's like I'm traveling into the future five years if we don't fix our problems. What happens if we don't stop mass immigration of illiberal people who don't believe in pluralism, separation of mosque and state, peaceful solutions to problems, quality men and women. What happens if we don't stop the censorship culture? I will go to, back home to Canada tonight and I will bring with me a warning of how police can simply arrest a man on the street because his political opponent 
orders it. And then he must seek police permission for any meeting. And I'll also tell the story about woke judges who work in concert with activist journalists to smear anyone who stands up for freedom. That's why I'm in London. For all of us at Rebel News, whether it's in London, Davos, Toronto, or elsewhere, to you at home, on behalf of us, to you, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.